0: Having a Gas is the podcast that talks the great and the good of the creative industries, and in particular finds out what makes great music for film, for TV, for commercials, for dancing to, for cooking to, for f***ing to, and more. Today I'm having a gas with Hermeti Ballerin, the outgoing creative partner at Mother London. Hermetti and his wife Anna have been at Mother since 2007 where they rose from interns to ECDs in a record-breaking eight years. And having set a course for consistent success at Mother, they've now been drafted to lead Wyden and Kennedy Portland. Maybe the greatest independent agency currently in the UK, uh, one that many people I speak to uh, envy the creative output and, uh, you know, a lot of people say it's on their bucket list to work there. Um... And so I suppose the first question is Hermeti, how did you manage that? Is that down to you and uh, your other half turning it into such a great creative shop or have you inherited that?
1: Well, <laughs> if that's your warm-up, I'm just worried <laughs> about the
0: rest. That's my opening <laughs> question. <laughs>
1: um, um, well, I mean, it's it's been going on for much longer than we've been there, even though we've been there for a for long time. Um, I had a we had our fourteenth um, anniversary just three months ago, so it's been a long, long time. And Mother was like, brilliant before we joined, and we learned like like almost every single trick that we know in there. Um, I guess the 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 daunting well the the, the job is always daunting there because you come in with such a like a uh, heavy weight on your shoulders for what has happened before. But it became a lot more challenging when, when we were made the first ever ECDs of the place. That was like, okay, uh, how did this happen? And how the hell we're going to live up to this? And um, and I guess we just, like the privilege of, of growing up there, and, like career-wise, we had seen it all, like from the bottom up. Like we started as placement team. And so we started, you know, got like going up the ladder inside of there so we've seen every facet every aspect of it so we didn't realize how much knowledge we had until we had to put into action and it just a lot of it came really instinctively we'd never been trained to lead or anything like that we just learned on the job and in the, two years later when we got made partners uh then we started to actually help run the whole agency it was a very different kind of challenge. It was it wasn't coming up with the ideas anymore. Although we still are very close to the work, and we come into creative reviews, we write work ourselves. Um, it was about fiddling with the knobs, like very much as in the sound studio, trying to kind of like equalize the beast so it's singing in perfect harmony. So we tried to remove the like the bad notes or the things that were gone off kind of like um, over the years, uh, and it was scary as hell but it was actually very instinctive it came from the gut so a lot of it was just like fine-tuning the beast so we'll take a bit of the credit for re-tuning it
0: yeah i love i i love how often we are drawn to musical metaphors and obviously there were some that were quite very deliberate there but even fine-tuning you know is uh um is musical and i i suppose there's a lot just there's a lot that i could ask from even your opening statement there but i suppose what i'm what i'm most interested in is what does that mean when you said you were fine tuning it can you give examples of the kind of things you had to do to make sure the whole thing was singing in one chorus
1: well like when we when we took over the creative department it was like it's it's an independent agency where the founder comes to work every day still so had never given the reins to anyone else so that was a big chunk of how to manage that transition how to make you know how to stamp our mark but keep him involved and feel like this relationship is also um, harmonious i'm going to continue with some musical uh, until i run out of vocabulary yeah. um so that one was a, a tricky one like very precious about it he, he is like proud of it a lot of legacy and everything uh, so that was a very tricky bit to figure out how we how our relationship works how we have enough space how we actually stamp our own personal edge to it that was one side the other side was like i think it was was in particular a challenge to mother's I think is the whole ad industry going through such dramatic change the whole landscape like landscape changing around us media revolution and social media and everything is up in the air nobody knows what's going to land digital this digital that rules vertical unskippable six seconds. So all of those things it made for a much more difficult day to day, like to figure out where the big juicy wins were gonna be. So I think it was as every other agency scratching its head and a bit annoyed, a bit resentful, trying to figure out how how the hell are we going to continue to make outstanding work in a landscape like this that is so volatile, changes every day. So he was it was quite an angry Angry place. I think the whole the whole industry was. So I think I'll, I'll stereotype for stereotype for, for a second here, but like being Brazilians and growing up where in, in a country where unless you're optimistic, like you're gonna be very depressed. Like we just took that on our stride. is like this is nothing. I'll just give you a glimpse of how dramatic it is in Brazil. Like this is this is easy. So we just want to kind of soothe kind of calm the nerves and just try to get people to be less on the edge, less pressurized. Um, yeah. Just like really um, a bit of sunny disposition to, to get all of that anger and frustration with uh, everything that was changing and make it like, come on, this, this is a lot of fun. We, we come up with ideas. We choose great music to go with our ideas. This is a dream job. Let's go and have some fun. And I think that, you, you speak to agencies like or, or like especially independent creative agencies that are really f- fiercely focused on creativity they'll, they'll always say like culture. the culture is what creates the work. So that's what we did we just worked on the culture a bit because we knew that everybody is so talented. The minute they started loving their jobs and understood that it was going to be a little bit harder yes, but they could still make some incredible work, I think you started to change. So that fine- tuning was that the, the founder, how the hell does he feel happy? And proud, and let's go. And the people, how the hell do they feel? Super happy again, proud, excited, challenged. So that was the the fine tuning.
0: And it sounds like it sounds like if I'm interpreting things correctly, you took over the role in the midst of all the chaos of the media landscape changing, which uh, caused uh, you know a bit of anxiety for a lot of the creatives because it sounds like you know there was familiarity. And and comfort with creating ideas that were for TV, radio, and print, and then all of a sudden you've got this ex- landscape of exploding media space, and no one yet knows how it works, whether you can monetize it, how how effective it is, and so that sounds like an, a very stressful time to be taking over the creative department.
1: Yeah, I guess, I guess that's why it's always easier. If you can kind appoint of from within, because bringing someone from the outside to try and figure out the culture, to try and figure out how to make that work and learn everything. So, I guess that bit of the stress didn't exist. We knew everybody, we had worked with everybody. Uh, so, that was a bit of the what can be really difficult to, to run a place to get to know it. We didn't have to. The other bit that was changing and, and volatile, like seismic changes happening, we had. Had to contend and deal with a bit of that as creatives and creative directors as well. So we weren't completely raw and alien to any of that. I guess we always had a bit of curiosity beyond the traditional medium. I, I love—I mean, don't get me wrong—I love making film. Like it's—it's uh, it's a dream. I love making radio. I love making out of home. That the traditional stuff is a dream. But I also love like AR and VR. Like when I was able to sell first. Um, AR idea to a client. I was it was mesmerizing. It was, everything was new, it was fresh, it was different, and it was exhilarating. So, yeah, some of the formats that we have to deal with are brutal, but they can make for really interesting challenges as well. So, it was it was very very stressful, but it was with a bit of optimism. I think it was actually quite exciting. Like we're making like a global. AR piece like this. When does that happen? Like that's that's a blessing as well. Let's let's embrace this.
0: Yeah, it would be as exciting for a creative person. You know, if you're if you're uh, if you find novelty and daring, and you're excited by new potential and new opportunity, to be able to step into a, a new format for the first time is it's either it's either going to be very. Uh, anxiety inducing because too much potential and no clear roadmap can can produce anxiety but it can uh, the flip side of that is that it can also be the best opportunity because no one has written the rule book yet so you get to try things and see how it works you get to be the first the pioneers in that space
1: very true very true i, I think it's it is daunting like because you there is comfort in Seeing what has come before and figuring out how you're going to break some of the rules of something that has lots of rules around it, but it's also really, yeah, it's it's really really fun to, yeah, go into uncharted waters, it just figure out as you go, and when you do so, it's also really, yeah, humbling that you've done something very very new that you've got some new moves now. Uh, so yeah, very very fulfilling at
0: times. So. That's where we are now. And I always like to uh, go back to the beginning, if we're talking about uncharted territory, which is uh, to say, uh, I, I, I always like to know where it all started and, and what got you on the path to being, you know, ECD. How did you get into the industry?
1: I, I'm one of those freaks that like from a very young age, me and my brother, younger brother, in Brazil is, is notorious for like... Um, good advertising and it's got a really vibrant industry. Not not so much lately, but when I was growing up, it was the golden era of Brazilian advertising. It was uh, putting Brazil on the map abroad. It was like uh, like export material good. Is it the 90s? It's like, um, yes, it's, it's kind of like um, late 80s, 90s. There was a lot of incredible stuff happening there. And I remember at the time there was loads of, jingles and they were absolutely kind of like infectious like they you you would it was they were well written they were well composed well recorded there was like they were they were real genuine great pieces of music and um i just grew up like absolutely addicted to them we would just walk around me and my brother just singing them We memorize all of them we just go around singing i just realized maybe as i grew up says so like that's a job like people come up with those things so I want to do that yeah and then i i never i never deviated from that and then I, i went to um like university to study advertising back home and i i got my first placement at um a quite a famous brazilian agency um where i met this senior art director that had just come back from europe he had done a stint in London, he had done placements. He was quite a senior guy. But he has done a placement at Satchez in London and a, and a placement at Wyden's in Amsterdam. And he had come back. I think he went. He came as a junior. He went back and leapfrogged everybody. His skills were insane. He spent a year abroad. And he said to me, like, man, just do this. Just do for a year and then you leapfrog everyone. Like everybody here is gunning like for a bit of experience abroad. There's not a lot of people here that have had that. You've got, um, i got an Italian citizenship. says so like, it's a no brainer. So I got my portfolio. I got all my savings. I proposed to Anna, who is the other ACD and partner. And because we were going out for a long time, we we're high school sweethearts. And I said to her, hang in there. I'm going to go to London and I'm going to get a placement. And when I come back, we get married and I'll get a great job. Because at the time I was only getting placements in Brazil. Oh, what a rude awakening it was! I came uh. and I struggled. nothing worked. Nobody liked my book. I had to go back to square one, but I learned the industry and I learned like that there were loads of great agencies. But I learned about the likes of Mother and widens. And I, in Brazil, is is less like it was. They were less known, I suppose, because they're more cultish. Less like they're they're smaller. So I started to learn about these guys and study everything about them. And I said like, wow, okay, now my dream has updated. Um, I want to work on those places. And um, and a long story short, Anna was working in the NHS. She was a physio, but she was a brilliant ri- writer. My partner at the time wasn't working out. She was just too lazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I just, I just, I couldn't wait any longer. I said like, broke up with a, with a old copywriter I really liked her, but she wasn't on the same wavelength. And I said to Anna, "I'm going to propose to you for the second time. I know you're not happy at your job, and you're um, you, you, you like what you do, but you don't love it. I need a writer. You're a great writer. Come and work with me for a bit. We'll freelance. We'll find gigs, and we'll, we'll 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 pay rent. And if you hate it, you go back and do something else. But I know you're going to quit your job, so come and do it with me." And she came, and and he was like. It was just like a lightning strike. Um, Yeah, our book just just took a leap into um, a different level. And we took a few placements on not so glamorous places, but one day mother called and said, like, do you guys want a placement here? And we said, like, wow, okay. And as as a divine intervention, it looks like it now, a brief landed on our desk on the first day And Mother is really good at this because it does give briefs, spectacular briefs to placements. It doesn't give you like just the shitty little small ones on the side. It gave us, at the time, Boots was the biggest client in the agency. And he gave us a Boots brief, which was perfect for us. It was a summer brief, uh, which was like all these beauty routines um, that women kind of like undergo like uh, when they are getting ready for summer. So with like two Brazilians sitting at Mother with a summer brief for Boots, uh, it was the moment we were waiting for. So it had gone around, lots of creative teams, senior creative teams, couldn't crack it. And um, yeah, we just had a, a moment of inspiration. We sold it at the end of that first week. And then we were in Australia shooting this massive ad, like two months later with 500 extras. Uh, so that, that's how it started.
0: Now that is quite the origin story and i don't think i've heard many origin stories like that that were you know put together so well the story actually flows like a great narrative and and it's it's horrendously romantic um i think i don't know maybe this is i'm just off the top of my head here i feel like maybe in this country we're not so um keen to expose that kind of you know emotionality or like to to get it's to 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 give a to tell a grand story i feel like we like to downplay and oh i just did this and no one really cares what i think and uh i don't i don't know what do you think
1: yeah i i i couldn't agree more like i first of all i'm going to be super thankful for that because british britishness brazilianness is like I, I think, like, I feel, like, invincible at times because I got the I got the over-emotional side. I can tell a grand story, but I also have the stiffer upper lip. Like, so I got the kind of, like, the, the thick skin. Now, so it's, like, the vulnerabilities of being Brazilian or Latin American are met by the kind of the Britishness, blaséness, kind of, like, overly critical. It's, it's a dream, really. I have those two brains in my head now, and I go, this is... This is a real gift because i can think like the brits which is i love it I, I i i fell in love with with um with the british kind of sense of humor or like almost dismissing uh greatness because they in brazil you grew up with kind of like influenced by america a lot and then it's the opposite right like how can uh <laughs> two countries with the same language be so different and i love this on the british it's almost like i had to stop a couple of meetings once because we're midway through this really heavy charge meeting with a big client. And right there and then, it was really gruesome, difficult. Like we weren't, the work was bombing research. We were a bit panicking. The clients came from America. They're a mother. We're having this big meeting, presenting new work. And we get the news. So the the, the biz lead on the account get an email from the research that was going on at the time that not only one, but two films have gone through with flying colors. And he he delivered the news almost like as in passing. Like it says like, oh guys, the, the, the scripts just, uh, you know, they, they, they scored well, we're going to be making them. And then continue chatting. So then we're going to I said like, oh, hang on a second. Pause that. pause, pause, pause. pause. It's eleven a.m., but go grab some beers. Like uh, we're gonna, we're gonna celebrate this. So and then we stop the meeting and we celebrate because I think that my mission in life here is to teach some of the Brits that come in touch with like celebrate the small and the big wins because it's important. Like it's really important. And then you teach me to kind of like keep it level because sometimes I just get too excited and then too frustrated. So that's a deal between us. Um, but but. Um, yeah, but I, I think it served me well the Brazilian side because it is um, mother is quite an emotional agency. It's got like it's got a voice. Its name like its name means something. It's, we got our mothers on the wall. We make work that makes them proud. So it's got a lot of drama in the story of it as well. So yeah, uh, I I don't know if I circled back from your question, but I think yeah, British plus Brazilian is a dream combination for me.
0: Yeah, absolutely because what you described there is you don't only have the advantage of being able to think in multiple languages, but you can actually think in different cultures, you know, you can plug them in when it's appropriate. I the last guest we had on was a mix engineer called Andrew Sheps who mixes Beyoncé and the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and he lives in Worcestershire and goes to the local pub and he says, "Yeah, everyone there, they don't care what I do. They, just, you know, they take the piss and they just move on, you know." So, there's a place for it because, you know, it's always worth a, it's, it's something of a Protestant kind of Christian idea. It's always always stay grounded. You're not that important in the grand scheme of things. And, yeah, it keeps real.
1: It keeps yeah. real for sure. There was a book, oh God, I'm not going to remember the author, but I just gave it to every Brazilian that we hired because we hired a lot. Uh, there's many great creatives in Brazil and art directors and everything. The ones that had the, the head in the right place were a good fit for mother. Not the ones that are numbered with ad industry, but uh, the ones that really good we hired we give this book that's called watching the english and it's an, an um i think it's an anthropological like book and it's it's so beautiful um and it's written so well but it's about small talk and talking about the weather and uh, just almost this overly polite and mindful like i i, I, I keep my space and keep yours. I don't step into yours. You don't step into mine. It's, it's a beautifully respectful thing. And it, it, it took a while to learn, but it, it's, yeah, I, I genuinely really feel at times that even though I'm a flamboy- flamboyant, big hair, Brazilian guy, I, I'm very British inside.
0: Yeah. There's, um, that's, a, a, say what, what's that? Watching the English. Yeah. R- recommended reading.
1: Yeah, I'll find it, like, especially if you're landing here and you need to get an insight into the culture, mm. into the people, into what makes people tick and the idiosyncrasies, are like the quirks of the Brits, it's, it's a it's a tricky, tricky game to try and start writing for, and uh, remember when we started to get it, like, watching TV and get into comedy and sense of humor and all those things, is is so peculiar and unique and beautiful, and it's it's so nuanced and um, and you have to pay attention to the details. So that book is a real fast track into getting a bit under the skin of the culture of the people, what makes people tick.
0: Yes. We, we, we've, I think, this has been spoken about uh, before on the podcast, maybe even on the last one. Uh, uh, I always go back to Steve Coogan, who pointed out that in British comedy, we're really uh, enamored with Schadenfreude. We like to take pleasure in other people's uh, misery and suffering. So all of our biggest sitcoms are about absolute failures: Basil Fawlty, Alan Partridge, you know, Cap- Captain Mannering and Dad's Army, things like this. Uh, Miranda. Um, apart with the exception of maybe Gavin and Stacey, which is very wholesome. Whereas in uh, America, you know, the sitcoms are about usually relatively successful people. You've got things like Frasier, the dude's a millionaire. You've got friends, obviously, that some of them are struggling, but they live in this beautiful kind of Tribeca apartment, don't they? So, for sure. Yeah.
1: The only glitch in the system there is um, it's very controversial opinion, but I think the the, the Yankees were able to take the office and actually make it a successful adaption Yes, and run it even further. And I, that kind of comedy for me is it was so painful because it's yeah. so alien. It made my actual physical body ache.
0: Oh, are you thinking of the UK version that's painful? The, the, the UK version, I thought it
1: was genius. Uh, like, um, in a, I loved every second of it. It wasn't because it's so, uh, I think at least my understanding, I think it's so British, kind of like... Uh, Uh, the way that it kind of like, so Americans have tried to photograph and film everything in cinematography to make the U S look even more beautiful. The UK loves to find the ugliest spaces (laughs) and to kind of like the back alleys. And it's not afraid to show the kind of warts and all, and for them to take that show and, uh, and adapt to the US so successfully. It was actually quite a surprising. Thing. I just found the book, by the way. It's, um, uh, Kate Fox is the author of the "Watching the English: The Hidden Rules of English Behavior."
0: We'll put it on. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll try and put a link in the description if I remember.
1: It's, uh-huh. a, it's got even like a two people at Wimbledon, uh, yeah, with a with an umbrella, <laughs> it's kind of like it's amazing,
0: amazing stuff. And yes, on the uh, on the office, it's often been remarked. I think that that's maybe the. Uh, a landmark study in comparing the the attitudes of Britain and America. And like you say about the warts and all in the UK version, we have the most depressing neon lighting, very sickening to look at and even worse to work in, I imagine. Um, <laughs> but to the, to, the, on, on to the characters, it's like David Brent is very, very unpleasant and easy to dislike, whereas Michael Scott, the US counterpart, is actually kind of a kind of endearing. You like him in the way that you like a child who's trying to do something and failing. <laughs> that's very interesting. It's very true as well. Yeah. So, so, so that's an uh, interesting perspective, you know, about um, the, uh, you know, the differences in uh, in the cultures. But back to the culture of mother itself, uh, where I've only visited once, and I, you know, I went into the the, you, you know, your beautiful foyer and could almost just fall down on my knees and think I wish I worked here because it was palatial and you've got Peter Blake hanging above the desk. And um, I suppose one of the angles that I was interested in exploring was, um, was mother one of the first places that broke from the tradition of, um, let's say naming your agency after the founders. And you know, for once we have this, this, this very pronounced uh, gesture, this is not my name on the door. It's uh, you know, it, it can be passed to whoever comes and steps into the helm.
1: I can't think of any many others, if any, to be honest. I think it, I think he was. And um, and there's um, there's um, a, a nice story about it. like there's a, um, an American writer, creative director uh, called Libby Brockoff. She was one of the original founders with Robert and Mark. And she's the one that came up with the name. And I um, remember like um, speaking to Robert and then uh, listening to a podcast uh, with Libby and then questioning that very notion of like, why wow, this is so self-centered, egotistical, like almost this this kind of like marking territory, like just putting my name above the door so you always remember who started. I am Ozymandias, King
0: of Kings. Exactly. It's
1: like, it's almost as if, this is insecure. It comes from insecurity. Like I want everybody to remember forever after who started this place. And and then in the other hand, it's like such a missed opportunity. The name mother has helped us immensely, like to remind us of what we are, what we're here for, like, and it's got uh, an aura to it. It humanizes the thing. It's got a mythical kind of mystique, like to, to the thing as well. And like when I first brought my mother to mother, well, your reaction to mother, that was my same one. I, When I walked in there to have a book crit, I said like, wow, okay. There's some people have it better than others. <laughs> uh, and then when I walked in there for the first day of work, I couldn't believe it. Like walking up those stairs is actually quite an emotional moment. Uh, but bringing my mom to mother, to that reception and taking a photograph of her next to her portrait on the wall of mothers is something very very special like uh, it's it's um we have a phone in the agency like a like an old school red phone that is kind of wired and one of those little coil kind of cords It, it doesn't work anymore i don't know why like but it was a phone number that only our mothers had but for whatever reason they couldn't reach you on the mobile they would ring the landline. They were worried about you, and somebody would go and find you. And he rang a few times, and it was it was incredible. So it, yeah, I, I feel like what a what a kind of surprising thing for for people that work in communications that give names to things that create words for other companies to actually name their own companies after themselves. It's, it's it just feels very counterintuitive to me.
0: Yeah, and obviously there's a there's a there's a a, a swath of new entries. To uh, you know, to the marketplace. There's been many since Mother, obviously, but some of the yeah. ones that immediately come to mind now are uncommon.
1: Um, lucky
0: generals, lucky generals. Yeah, very good. Um, what are you? Maybe some others that you know you uh, have paid attention to. Obviously, new commercial arts is very uh, de- is declaring exactly what they are, isn't it? Straight up.
1: Yeah, very very interesting as well. Like it, 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 it remains to be seen, like how uh, what what exactly they're going to be become or they are becoming. But it's, um, it's a very interesting move. They, they might argue that uh, actually like cutting to the chase and just stating what we want to to be is actually even maybe even more precise move to at this day and age where there's so much blurredness about like, what are you? Why do we need agencies? What, why is this agency going to do for us? Like what, what do they do exactly? Full service, one-offs or like, so I, 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 Obviously, the people at the, uh, at, at, you know, in, in running that are very, very good. Uh, so I'll, I'm curious to see where where that goes. Obviously, Lucky General is a bit um, older than some of the newcomers, but very, very successful. As well. It's really interesting the way Lucky Generals, I think they embrace their name as well. It feels like a very fun place. I, I have many, many friends there, so I'm really biased and I, I love them. Uh, and an uncommon I wasn't quite sure at first because I thought like the name didn't immediately kind of wow me, but they're making it mean something great. So it's, it's, um, it's, uh, it's great when people like that come into the industry, disrupting things, keep keeping everybody on their toes and just proving that there is a lot of space for, you know, great creative ideas, no matter what the naysayers say.
0: Yes. And of course, I forgot to mention the number one obvious example being Adam and Eve, despite the fact that they are still names. But yeah.
1: Absolutely. Another great thing. Yeah. Another great uh, example. Um, I was trying to think of more. I mean, Pablo is another one. Um, Well, what else? Who, what, why? Wonderhood Studios. I think everybody... I think everybody figured that was a bit naff to name the agency after yourself.
0: Yes. And as well, you see things happening like if we, you know, if there are clauses during mergers or any kind of legal wrangling over we have to keep all the names, you end up with A M V B B D O and you've just got this like rolodex of names coming in.
1: Also, it's it maybe back then the leaders were the thing. But now it's like it is so not true. Like I love the fact that mother... Credits every piece of every piece of work as mother, so you don't know who did it because that's the best story I think about the the, the places from the receptionist that welcomes somebody into the building, like a potential client, a collaborator, a director, uh, like a music person, with a broad smile, offers you a coffee or a tea and a, a, like seat and a magazine and makes you feel really good. To the person that uh, takes you to the meeting room, to the people that you meet to talk about the work, to the people that actually welcome you out and back out again, and everyone in between, they are responsible for the success of the place. So it's so unfair that two or three founders get all the credit, the repetition of their names. It's a it's a bizarre notion i think it was a, a different time i think people people's egos were too big to think collectively and now people are just a bit more clued into come on guys that's a bit ugly let's let's be generous here
0: yes uh, i often as is cliched i'm sure i often go back to mad men because i mean i adore mad men uh, Just uh, you know i can i was i was uh, my brother sent me a, a photo the other day the um Gentleman who plays, my goodness, I've forgotten his name now. The guy with the glasses, uh, Harry Crane, um, posted uh, photos from the day of the the pilot shoot, saying, "You know, 2006. On this day, we shot the pilot." And I was struck by something, which is that they all looked like they were in the, they were dressed and hair and makeup done but they looked in, like they were in the 21st century they were posing for selfies like 21st century people and I realized that I had been so convinced that I was actually watching the 1960s because of the production design that was so thorough mm. on that yes. show
1: oh it was incredible I, like I, I adored the show as well I, I thought it was such a privilege to have such a high caliber show about an industry that I work for like it's, it, yes. it was just like a dream some people actually didn't like it says so like I don't want to come home because the, some of the, let's say, the bad behaviors are still around, a lot of it. Yeah. So some of the kind of like, oh, there aren't a lot of women in positions of power. Oh, guess what? It's probably the case still today. So a lot of yeah. people put off watching that stuff uh, because it was too close to work. I, I basked in it. I watched it. I, I, and what um, uh, was going to say, ah, that was the be- even the best bit about it. Believe it or not, we can can even kind of go back and trace it, but six months to a year before Mad Men, we had sold the 1960s Nouvelle Vague to Stella Artois as the brand world. Like, that's where we're going to shoot everything. So, like, all the kind of, like, the French uh, cinema and all that influence and the beautiful, like, 1960s kind of art house cinema and to then have the show to kind of like, to just keep updating kind of references and watching like beautiful furniture, interior design, wardrobe, hair, makeup and everything. So it, although it was in America, but it was like, it was just a dream to have that to watch and then to be working on doing that and picking stuff and working in the 60s on Stella as well.
0: I mean, that's... uh that's what what's that life imitating art that kind of thing i always by the way i, I have always adored the Stella branding uh in uh you know I, i'm no art director so i i I, I cannot give references that are accurate for what it's attempting to imitate but you know the kind of rustic genuine vintage feel it all felt very real i remember the were there a, a series of black and white wartime adverts back in about 2010 2009 at the cinema i love those things and of course the music uh, is also uh, placed very well on those campaigns because it's always got this very scratchy violin that feels very like you know it, that it pairs with the what do you call it the degradation of the film. Why did that entire aesthetic seem to you to just match up with Stella Artois? It
1: was it was very interesting. Like the the challenge that came to us was that you know the 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 glorious Stella Artois um, work of the past, which was more rural. European, uh, like maybe eighteen hundreds, like even earlier than that, it was it was beautiful and it worked a treat. But it was it had run its course and it wasn't resonating as much. The whole notion of that brilliant line they had before, I think it was Lowe's uh, reassuringly expensive, was out of quilt with the world and materialism was becoming a little bit. Um, of an undesirable quality uh when they came to us so and also in the uk i had image problems like with being hijacked by kind of like heavy drinkers and getting a horrible nickname so what we went on to do which is uh like some of the most cunning i felt like i was a madman at times because he would they said like let's Let's update the image. Let's let's keep the romance, the filmic quality of it, the quality of craft that we always had. But let's update it. Let's bring it closer. And so we started to feel like, where else can they live? Like, where, what era does this make sense to be super sophisticated, but have a bit of class, have a bit of finesse? And 60s is so beautiful. Uh, so we started to, to dabble with this. And what we were trying to do back in the day was create such a sophisticated kind of almost highbrow image for it that we would would do something that we call positive alienation which is mind trickery we will make it so glamorous and cool and artistic and elevated that people that weren't necessarily the people that should be drinking it or drinking too much of it would actually start to feel like at odds with the image of it. So, a lot of the effort that went into it is to make it feel like this is not a brand for you.
0: Yes, yes. So, is that, and is there some risk for the client with that? It's like, look, you're going to have to lose some friends before you can make some more friends.
1: Yes. And it was, but it was also like a no brainer. You go, like, you don't want to be associated with certain things, you want to be hanging out with a different crowd. And I'm sure, like, um, you know position yourself as a sophisticated continental lager with kind of like a bit of Frenchness to it you're gonna make loads of new friends and it it worked Um, and it worked across the globe as well not only the UK it was global client so it it was it was so so much fun to work on those things and to have to watch Nouvelle Vague basically like as research like I couldn't believe like that's what I do for a living
0: yeah and I also notice uh, there's a couple of things I want to pick up on here, and I'm going to choose the order in which I do them, because I can already sense, certainly with the way that uh, you think and with the way that I think, uh, the conversation can go in many different directions and I'll forget. But uh, the first one is, I suppose, risk-taking, because I saw you say something at the end of last year. Um, which was, let's see. I was going to try and call it to memory without looking at my notes on my laptop, but I'm not that professional. Um, you said there was a, already a decay in the level of risk that brands were able to take. Uh, what, in your opinion, triggered the uh, the decay in risk taking?
1: There's so. Like, I think um, marketeers... tears. Um, well, let me let me try and start from the right place. I think. Marketing as a function within organizations is—it. It, this is a massive generalization, but I'll—I'll I'll do this just for the sake of this illustration. I think, in lots of cases, it, its role, has been diminishing over time. So, like, as procurement and cost saving, I think this is a, accelerated in the credit crisis, like crunch, the crisis of two thousand and eight. So we've seen that from the very beginning. So marketing. Started receding into like the the kind of like the, within the uh, uh, the kind of like the big boy stable in some some organizations. Then the cost controlling start coming in and kind of like clipping their wings a little bit. And and then the people that are like the the, the CMOS are lasting in their jobs a lot less time, a lot less longer. And um, and then there's a lot of data, inundation of data. You can measure everything, you check something on social media platform, you can immediately like testing A and B, lots of research, lots of, so I think uh, like a perfect storm, it's created a, like a new, a new crop of um, marketing, uh, like or leaders that are like really squeezed on the back foot, uh, more transient, Less committed. Uh, again, I'm just going to say this massive like generalization. There's so many great examples of incredible um, professionals. But um, and then by default, like if you're in the back foot, if you're trying to prove that what you do works, if the your CEOs and your CFOs and your COOs are looking at you as a CMO as a not as an equal, but like someone that needs to kind of grow up and show results and prove that this works. And what is this gut shit? What is the brand building exercise over time? Just don't give me this bullshit. I want results now. It's all much more difficult to make money, blah, 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 blah. So I think that's been happening, eroding over the years. Let's flip a bit. Advertising industry is not doing itself any favors. There's plenty of examples of terrible work things that shouldn't exist or you know so it's on the other side the agencies are not helping the cause so they're not like giving their all the best or they're not structured properly to actually meet the new landscape blah 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 so i think that's happening and then you 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 throw covid into the mix and then it's like then it's just accelerated like people just panic they receded contracted and it's easy for me to say but sometimes i compare it to us criticizing government so when crises, crises happen, we all, like, sitting in our armchairs, criticizing government, and going, like, austerity is bullshit. Spend your way out of it. So it's very easy to say, but when it comes to us, marketeers or agencies even, we always contract. So I'm going, like, why do we tell them to spend? And then we, at the first sign of difficulty, we cut budgets, we cut personnel, like, we, we just do the opposite. So instinctively, to me, it doesn't make any sense. I think you should be taking risks when everybody else is running away from it because there's an open goal. Nobody else is there. Like that's why we were lucky enough to do some work on KFC early in the pandemic where we're making people laugh. It was just a dream. The results were so disproportionately huge because no one else is doing anything remotely likely. So I, I find it like incredible that not many more people think like this or act like this. Cause it's quite obvious to me. It's just like, why are you, why are you running away from it anyway?
0: I digress a bit. <laughs> are, you a, are you a Star Wars fan? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so you know the end of A New Hope when uh, Luke has to turn off his targeting system in order to actually hit the target. <laughs> <laughs> See where I'm going with that?
1: Yeah, yeah. very good. I'm, I'm obsessed with, I was obsessed with Mandalorian uh, in the middle of, of the pandemic because it's so good.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, re- it was one of the things that did get everyone through the pandemic. I remember um, uh, we were doing a brief for Iris and um, it was like sort of 8 p.m. You know how it gets, 8 p.m., 9 p.m. You're still doing work. And I rang up uh, Grant, the ECD. And he was like, oh, yeah, how you doing? Sorry, we're just glued to the Mandalorian with the kids. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. But um, I have a feeling that there's some wisdom in that, in that moment, which is to say that if you uh, try and adhere too much to rationality, too much to wanting to be able to predict every single result, uh, you will you'll be missing something right it's the same as the golden snitch in harry potter there's no way of knowing where it is until it just filters into your vision and then you go after it which is a, that's kind of an analogy for creative uh, a creative spark isn't it right it just comes into your field of vision
1: yeah like uh, like fear is the worst kind of uh like feeling to feed off when you're trying to do something incredible like it it's going to prevent you like it's physically viscerally uh, shutting down your brain power. So like, if you're acting out of fear, you're less potent, your brain is less potent. So it is just, it's just kind of like common sense. Yes. Easy, easy to say. I work at an agency that it just thrives on taking risks. It It knows how to do them. Like it knows how to calculate some of it. But I, yeah, I feel like, this industry is at its best when it's setting off fireworks on behalf of brands that just go so much higher and further than the media that they had to spend. And that's when we add loads of value. And that's when people are like, oh, There is like a bit of like butterfly in the stomach the day before you launch something. Like I know when we're doing something good the day before I'm a bit anxious and the morning off I'm on Twitter at 6am just to kind of see what the reaction is. And like gut isn't isn't valued as much anymore because we have so much data. But I think the best marketeers, they have a really strong instinct and they will, well, I'll just use IKEA here for one second. Uh, Our clients, more often than not, will choose the piece that she likes the most, even though it was the least performing in research. Mm -hmm. And the casing point is our Ikea Christmas ads with DEE was the one that scored the least out of three that we put in. The client had a hunch. We had a hunch. We made that one. We won.
0: Yeah. And what accounts for that? And why do things test poorly? And if the testing doesn't actually inform the decision, why test? Three hard questions, I guess.
1: Yeah, I feel like it's it, it, it depends on the client. But there are clients that are so tied up with testing uh, structurally for decades that they cannot like especially global ones that you cannot make any work or actually your markets won't buy the work from you globally if it doesn't come with green scores so that's one that's like terrible that's the most difficult place to be and then the other side of this is different I'm not a big fan of research. I think there's plenty of brains in the room that are being really well-paid to just freaking make the right decision. So I believe it like, come on, guys, between us, we can do this. Um, but the other side of it, when it's still needed, for whatever reason, there is a bit of qual research that is to get a sense of tone and to get a sense of direction of travel, of stuff to see hey, just triple check that we're not being tone deaf, like that we're not doing something completely alienating that, like, like anger the hell out of everybody. So, or we have two ways of doing this thing. Let's figure out like which one is more successful. And that that is actually quite a li- nice little privilege. You have a little round of stuff that you expose to people that are not from advertising. You take it with a much, massive pinch of salt. You're still making the decision in the end, but you gained A bit of nuance and texture so that one i don't mind as much the one that is like it's like what are we doing here like if we still need those guys like 500 people are probably not paying a lot of attention to it to just click on the button and give us a green score like that's i think we failed when we have to do that
0: yes yes and also we know that um or not we know we i certainly suspect that um no I think no I think it's a truism isn't it I can't remember who said it is a designer that said a camel is a horse designed by committee and um that's the idea right it's like we're trying to create something elegant and beautiful and the more people you involve there's too much taste to get diluted down
1: I'm going to steal that one I
0: love it Ah uh, yeah well you know it's uh, yeah, I wish it was mine but yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> It's great
0: Yeah. So uh, moving on, using that same theme and moving on to music, which is of course, you know, it's my first love and it sounds really interestingly like it was yours with regards to jingles. I'm interested to know as well, why didn't you go into music if the jingles caught your attention so much?
1: I tried to kind of like, again, I've been trying to write that bit of my story a bit better, but I don't, I don't remember as well. It was, we were so young, um, like, like kids, literally, um, I think it's a is a mixture of things. I, I always love to draw, and I love the the jingles and the adverts. My dad uh, and mum and dad uh, were shop owners, um, so there's a lot of commercialism like in the house. So we've seen them working hard and how to make money, and we worked at the shop um, at times. And they they grew, then they at the point they had a few shops. So we. We were quite like aware of the commercial side of things, and I, although I didn't love the environment of their shops, I did love the side of it where I got to see numbers and things like that. So I had that that side in my brain, and the more artistic side, and I, I thought the advertising was the perfect kind of match. Like you, you could do a bit of the artistic side, but you're also going to do the commercial side. So it was like, a, wow, I get to do both things, and um, and it felt like it was such a glamorous profession in Brazil back then that it was almost a problem. It was like, um, yeah, people were ending up doing advertising course when they didn't know what else to do. That was, that was the degree of the success of the industry in Brazil back then. So it was overcrowded with a bunch of like, I actually lost my first placement. I was doing really well and I lost my, it was cut short because at the time, the daughter of a a A-list soap opera TV star from Brazil wanted a job in that agency and they took my seat. I got really angry. But that's the degree of how coveted the industry was. Um, So yeah, the the music, yeah, we'll we'll talk a lot more, I I, I would assume. But I think that I figured out there would be music in that job as well. So I
0: feel like I can have that, my cake and eat it. So you figured out the music would be an aspect of the advertising gig. And that was sufficient.
1: It, it was, yeah. And I and I and I'll do a detour here because I think this is quite interesting. There's this the agency that they used to work back then. Um, it was a place called W Brazil. It was named after the founder. The founder is called Washington Oliveira. He's one of the most successful uh, advertising stars in the world. Like, um, and he is notorious for having made a career out of great tracks in advertising so he actually was so successful so successful and that he ended up becoming friends with all of the musicians all of the composers all of the singers songwriters the bands he ended up or the agency's name ended up in one very famous uh song uh that the chorus had the name of the agency became really famous uh so That influence was also quite strong. This guy just launched a podcast, uh, sadly, it's in Portuguese. So, um, but I listened to the second episode this morning and it was about accidental tracks that ended up in some of his work, because it's so much about music that he's even got a chapter that is about accidental great tracks that he listened when traveling that ended up becoming out. So the influence that I had in advertising wasn't just like the jingles, it was spectacular tracks in ads uh and um i figured that i could well i ended up like you know having the chance to use great tracks in in my ads as well but that was when i felt i
0: could i could have a lot of music in my life by going into advertising as well so this brings us on to one of the questions i've been very eager to ask well everyone i know in the industry really and this is because um our business we compose we also you know we do the other stuff search sync sound design but Uh, Composition was the initial spark that we like, we've got to get into that. And advertising is uh, obviously, it's a very sync heavy domain. You know, are we like finding the right track? And to tie it into the theme of risk-taking, I was just really keen to get your opinion on, you know, why it is that we are so uh, fond of syncing a known track, because it obviously has an emotional connection already. If it's a famous track, we already know how people are going to feel about it. And it feels like you know brands aren't willing to take the risk of having a new piece of music concocted for the brand uh, that will be ownable by them.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a really great question. I've watched some of the of the other episodes. So I knew this was coming, but uh, it a very well-known track when it's really well used uh, is a, is a massive boost to you know to your chances of of succeeding, of course, but so many cases I think probably more often than not when it's not a good fit like so it's essentially like ham-fisted into it so you have the worst of both worlds you have like a great track has being massacred into an ad and an ad that, de- that deserved a better fit being trumped over by a famous track and I think that's the worst that, that can happen. And I think it happens a lot actually because it's it's easy to go there. I suppose you play a great track. A client will know it. It's easier to sell.
0: You'll feel good because you have the association.
1: Exactly. And you go like I use that track. And and I heard and I think in I think one of Rory Sutherland's episodes you're talking about the cost of it as well. I mean, come on. It's yeah. getting ridiculous. Yeah. I, I I can't I can't sometimes take those costs to my clients with a straight face. I, I can't. I, I love their businesses as well i can't i can't just make them spend those and uh and i think sometimes it's out of laziness or, or cutting cutting corners and it's just like ah we we, we run out of time I, I think scoring is so um i think it's quite fulfilling like to do something bespoke i i genuinely love it i, I think it's um well, I do I do a bit of the detour here, like because I, I got I got into succession really really late, and I I was off on holidays a couple of weeks ago, and I just watched the whole two series and uh, in one go, and God, the like the, the 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 classical the, the theme tune to that thing is glorious. I, I think is for me is. I mean, I love the characters, I love the writing, I love everything, but I think the music is half of the reason why I adore the thing. It went from being a great series to me, being like one of my favorite things ever because of music. So they made the effort, they put in, and great films do that so spectacularly well. They do score it and they'll use the theme to just kind of like carry the thing and different notes and different bits. So yeah, I, uh, we are doing something quite big at the moment that we're scoring and I'm super excited. And it's multiple pieces. So we're getting to flex it. Uh, so like, yeah, I'm in heaven.
0: That uh, brings me on to uh, something else that I've been meaning to ask you, which is that I sense a, um, dare I say, like a frustrated filmmaker in you. Is that something that you have ever attempted or are maybe thinking about attempting one day trying to venture into the world of motion picture?
1: Oh my God. Yes. Like I, I, I dream of, yeah, I've had a few doubles with, but not as, not as a, not as the filmmaker, but, um, as, uh, I, I didn't know what an exec producer was until I, I did it. <laughs> so I had this actually one of the proudest moments of my career is actually nothing to do with advertising. So this guy that I know, that was like an in, one of an in-house editor at mother went over to Brazil got married to a brazilian woman uh and then uh, met an incredible character there in a in a a slum in a favela and filmed his story and came back to london with this kind of like hours and hours and hours of footage and he didn't know what to do uh he wanted to cut into a short film and he gave me this really bloated kind of like chunk of stuff to watch it and i took it home i spent a few hours watching it i i i loved it I, i came back and i said like okay the story is really dramatic. This guy is starting a boxing school to take kids out of the favela and the life of crime because he hasn't seen a single male adult in his family die of natural causes. All of them die by uh, gun violence. So I said like I'm going to I'm going to put all the like the weight of mother behind this, my own personal time, I'm going to make this happen. So I called around, got favors like for I got all like mothers computers for him to edit, people to help I got like my art directors to do posters, to do all the signage. I got like designers to create the logo for the boxing school, got MPC to grade, like people to do sound music, to go after the rights for music. So we we, we made the film and I was so, so happy because it was a good cause, because we made it. And then one no- one morning I wake up with a with a message on my phone, like lots of missed calls and a message. And I knew they were in New York. Uh, for a Tribeca Film Festival, and I, I just I, I couldn't understand, but they're just chanting that we won we won the prize of best short, and this this the end of the story is way happier than this. The this, this school took off, we got sponsorship for for decades to come. There's 500 kids there now. It's it's a brilliant story. So I, that was my first double into the world of movies. It's a 15 it's a 16 minutes long. I'll send it to you later. Sorry for doing a plug here, but it's uh I'm so proud of that. And then my second little story in film, that's very peculiar. So Emerald Fennell, that just won the Oscar for Best Original Screenplay, is married to an advertising copywriter that used to work at Mother. And um, her directing debut was uh, a little short film that we've done together. It's called Careful How You Go. Um, She was trying to get like funding to make that film we got mother to put up the cash uh, she had a brilliant cast like phoebe waller bridge was casting it as well it was, it was a dream really um, and then uh literally when i opened that script to read like uh, I, I never seen anything so well written in my life like that's some of the it was just like so easy to read. It was so beautifully written. I'm not surprised that she's won. I think she's going to win like several times over because she's a brilliant writer. So we backed that film. is a great little film. Uh, it's very dramatic. It's the theme is not dissimilar to promising young woman women. It's uh, it's kind of like women seeking revenge. It's it's just really, really wonderful. And uh, we got an official Sundance selection for that as well. So I've I've been in the world of cin- cinema twice, and twice I got so lucky that, that I got this thing. So I'm a very,
0: very happy person. Wow. So lightning does strike twice in that context. Eh? <laughs> I can't believe it. Well, that's no, that's really, I think it's, um, I mean, yours is one of the ultimate success stories in that respect. So, you know, hopefully... Uh, hopefully there are some people who are going to be able to watch this and draw from it that you can have it all you know that you can uh, get the career you know you can have the marriage you can ha- do the dream side hustle uh, you know be partner at this huge agency you know is there any is there anything that you would maybe be so bold as to say what your secret is how have you ach- achieved all of this it, it, it's a very difficult question so I don't I don't envy you answering it no
1: like honestly it, it, it will sound cliche, but it, the beginning was really, really hard. Like, there's no, there's no genius in here. Like, there's nothing. It was like really, really uh, like relentless uh, perseverance. Like, really, like trying. There's one when I when I convinced Anna to come and work with me again. The way I tell it now, it sounds like it was all like. Um, all the rosy and cool. It was a really, really, really difficult moment. Like we were laying in bed, looking at the ceiling going like on paper, we're actually quite smart. Like, why is it that both of us are struggling so bloody much? Like what's, what are we doing wrong? And, and I think, well, we, we've, we've been together for such a long time. I think that was a bit of the secret. Like when we joined forces again, uh, I think we had this impetus. Like we we had like we have we have a beef, like we have something to prove. We're better than this, where we're spinning in place. This has to happen. So when it did happen, it was this pent up a bit of anger, a bit of energy, but it was like all like ferocious, like so much so that we sold the script first, we made the ad, we got loads of awards for it. So it was all just built inside. So first thing was like, don't if you believe that you want to do that thing genuinely for as hard as it can be and I was running out of money, all those sorts of things you can imagine. Don't quit. If you can hold in, like hang in there. Um, and the second one is, is I think is the thing that I was talking about fine tuning mother. It's a job. It's like, a, it's bloody advertising. Just have a laugh. Don't, don't take it too serious. Don't take it personally. Of course, work your socks off, but don't let it invade your life and all sorts of things. So have a, have a life, fill your head with great stuff and and stick at it like it, it 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 will it will work out and i think this god forbid my mom my mom doesn't speak english so she will never uh, see or hear this hopefully but i miss my family dearly like it's so bad now covid we haven't been back to visit we we normally go once a year we stay for for quite a while we haven't been back for a year and a half now it's it's getting quite painful but not having all of that Distraction, drama, and all those obligations that come with family being nearby—it it, was—it was a flip side of the sadness that is to live a, a, like away from them all. Is that you have you have time for yourself, like to focus on things and to dedicate? So we we've been um, really really relentlessly focused on this until our little <laughs> five-year-old came along, and then just wrecked the whole rhythm of it
0: <laughs> And uh, yeah, how's that? How's that journey been? Um, it's it, it, it. like Anna and I had given so many
1: interviews uh, about how the hell can you work and be a husband and wife, work together as a creative team. And people were surprised when we answered, like, it's actually not that hard. Like you just this, as long as you're not at each other's throats and you're not blending too much work and life and life and work, you'll be fine because as long hours, guess what? what wrecks relationships when one is working late and the other is waiting at home. We never work because we're both either working late or we're at home together. Second, advertising involves a lot of traveling. Guess what wrecks relationships when one is on the road and the other one is staying. We're both traveling together all the time, doing everything. So we had, a, I think it was an advantage versus like a lot of people think how oh, oh, we will kill each other. And so like, you won't, you actually like join forces and, and um, and then by the time he came along, we were quite settled. Um, we we got made ECDs when Anna was pregnant. She was like maybe four months pregnant. So when he was born, we were like a few months into being ECDs, and um, so we had quite a um, stabilized the, the the whole thing. So we were in control of our life, and um, and so it was it was easier to then deal with the fact that we wouldn't be able to go on shoots together if if ever because we i don't get to go on shoots anymore um but we wouldn't need to be so close together because we we had done it already so we had to a certain extent succeeded so it was easy when he when he came
0: along well i can't i can't really think of you know many more appropriate places to take it after that because you know it's like we've 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 done a pleasant circle there you know we started with how it started and you know we've gone back to that moment and now where it's going so uh you know i hope that um we can do this again in the future be great to get you and anna in the room and 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 do one of these that'd be amazing and maybe even uh uh the little one as well i'm sure there's some good insights to come out of you know out of the mouths of
1: babes Oh my god! Do you get you get the real insights from that one? He's like he's already a master of branding and advertising. Yeah. He, he thinks he works for KFC. Right? Do
0: you ever show him the stuff? And be like, so what do you think of this? We're going to show it to the client, but you need to see it first. He sees
1: everything. He sees from he sees it from scamps to finished products. So he's like this weird kid that knows animatics that he knows like storyboards and um, and uh, he, he he gets to see. The Greenpeace animations as well, like from beginning to end. So he's seen Rang Tang and he's seen like Monster in the Kitchen now. So he he knows the stages of animation.
0: I mean that yeah. How rare is that? So no, brilliant stuff. Is there is there anything uh, is there anything else you'd like to uh, get in before we close off? Any any plugs or any uh, you know any what, what what would I say? Any people that you uh, feel you you'd, you'd like to mention? It's a huge huge thing.
1: I mean I've, I talked a lot about Anna so I don't I don't need to do it I think it's it's like the she's she's the she's the real rock behind the, this whole thing uh stabilizing both of us but um yeah I, I honestly I yeah thank you for having me I I, I still even though like I yeah i got a great job and a great career sometimes I don't believe that I'm I'm being invited to do podcasts so I I feel always grateful
0: no it's been it's been one of my favorites so far so thanks for coming on